there's something satisfying about looking for a checkpoint in the middle of the woods and finding it. I mean, it's it's like you're a, you know you're a little kid finding a birthday present or opening a birthday present. It's just like it's really exciting and 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 you're like, okay, a little success. Now let's find another one. You know, <laughs> it, it's addictive in a lot of ways. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Today we're talking to Mark Latanzi about adventure racing. Uh, if you've heard of adventure racing, we've, we've definitely featured it on the show, people who've done adventure racing before, but we've never just gone over what is the sport, how to do it, um, at least not in a long time. There has been a resurgence recently with the uh, Amazon documentary coming out a few years ago about the Eco Challenge in Fiji. Someone who's a part of that adventure was Mark here. Mark has been in this adventure racing world for over 20 years. He's literally written a book about it, loves to teach people, and loves to introduce new people. So I thought he'd be a great guest to to feature just about this sport and some of the things it can do. But Mark's going to tell you more about what adventure racing is, why people do it, uh, and some of the ways that you can get involved. Uh, but before we jump in, let's hear from a couple of our sponsors. Uh, you know, obviously with anything, adventure racing is gear heavy. It's gear intensive. There's a lot of it, but it's not necessarily incredibly specialized things. There's a lot that you can get that's used, and I would suggest going to rerouted.co to look for anything that you might need for gear for your next adventure, uh, but you don't want to you know, pay out-of-pocket brand spanking new prices. A lot of gear, when it's well-built and well-made, uh, it'll last forever, but you know, some of us might not need it forever. So that's why Rerouted is also a great place to sell used gear, whether you're looking for it yourself, you're looking to sell some, rerouted.co is where I suggest starting. One, you're gonna keep stuff out of landfills. Two, you're gonna save a little money. Three, it's gonna be a pretty unique piece of gear. Chances are you'll be the only one that has it. And four, you know, sometimes just getting something used can make your adventure actually happen. Instead of having to save up for that $1,500 or whatever, maybe you can find it for a lot less just used. And that can get you out there sooner than you planned. So thank you, Rerouted, for supporting the show. And again, check it out, rerouted.co. Uh, next is Gooder sunglasses. I, I love wearing Gooder sunglasses. They're, they're inexpensive, but high quality sunglasses uh, made with a ton of different designs. I'm wearing a pair. I don't, I'm not wearing them right now because I'm looking at a computer screen, but I've got them on my hat right now uh, just because I, I always have them on me. The gooder solution to ugly, expensive, and overly engineered sunglasses are the four Fs. They gotta be fun, they gotta be fashionable, they gotta be functional and affordable. That's probably my favorite right there. They look good. They have a ton of different designs like I mentioned. They do 30-day free returns because you can buy them online and free shipping anywhere in the US over $50. And they were also the two-time Runner's World Gear of the Year winning brand. I love them so much that I even have my two-year-old wearing them. He actually really enjoys wearing sunglasses. So I, t I take my wife's pair, put it on his head. I wear mine. We go on bike rides. We go on kayak rides. We're looking fashionable. We're looking fun. And they are definitely affordable. They also got this cool thing on their website where you can virtually try a pair so you can see what they look like on you before you purchase. So treat yourself to a pair or two or three by going to Gooder. Dot com that's g o o d r dot com use the code asp15 to get 15% off your entire order your face will thank you all right that's enough ads for now uh, but before we jump in mark actually just finished expedition oregon which is considered america's toughest race and their team tan z won ninth place which is pretty awesome if you want to find out more about that or more about Mark's book, Squiggly Lines, please check out the show notes. All right, let's get into the episode. Hey, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, we, we've been hearing from you, and some of y'all have won kind of an intro into adventure racing. We've had adventure racers on the show, but being adventure sports podcast sometimes we just do the the basics on a specific sport and today's going to be one of those episodes with mark latanzi mark welcome to the show 
Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you've essentially written, I don't know if it's the book on adventure racing, but it's definitely <laughs> a book on adventure racing that, that that's well known, uh, Squiggly Lines. You're kind of a pillar in this adventure racing community. Is that fair to say? Well, I've been in it a long time. And so, I've, yeah, I definitely, my name has gotten around. I don't, maybe good and bad. <laughs> there you go. But um, yeah, I wrote a book and self-published and kind of got it out there and people seemed to like it. And so it was a, a fun time doing that. T- tell us about the, the sport itself. Like, like, if you don't mind, let's yeah. go back to like, what is adventure racing? Right. Yeah. Which is uh, one of my goals in the past five years has been when I say I'm an adventure racer, people don't say, what is that? <laughs> so right. I, we're not there yet. Right. It's a, it's not very mainstream, but it is definitely more popular. Um, so it, an adventure race is a, uh, a multi-sport competition where there's no set course. They're just checkpoints that you have to find using a map and a compass. And each checkpoint has a various, like you might do uh, 10 checkpoints on foot uh, running, and then you might um, do another 10 or 15 on a bike. And then you might get in a boat of any variety, a kayak, a canoe, a sailboat, a a flat raft. Uh, And then you might do some climbing or rappelling, and then you might get back on your bike. and, And then it gets even crazier from there. But Paddling, cycling, and trekking are the three main elements, but there's a lot of others that get thrown into races. I've been in caves, I've been in sailboats, um, uh, climbing. So sometimes you put your boat in the, or your, well, you put your bike in the boat with you and take it across the lake, and then you get out and you, if you have an inflatable boat, you roll it up and stuff it in your backpack and get on your bike and keep going. So it's, it's a very versatile sport. Um, Typically, it's teams, uh, co-ed teams, and um, and the races are time-based. So like a short adventure race is six hours, and a long one can be uh, 10 days and, and anywhere in between. Holy cow. 10 days. Let me ask you this. What's the aspect of the team for? Are you? It's not a relay. You're, you're all going together. Correct. It is not a relay. It is... I, I would say several aspects. One is it adds this element of uh, a lot of challenges. You really need a team to get through. Mm. Um, but also for safety, having three or four people, if somebody does wreck their bike because they haven't slept in two days, uh, you know, there's more people there to help out. Uh, you keep each other awake. Uh, you can trade off responsibilities. If somebody's hurting, you can take some of the weight off of their back. Um, So there's a lot of aspects. Teamwork is an integral part of it, but you're all doing every event together. And if any one of you drops out, you are no longer official in the event. A lot of times you're allowed to keep going, but you're, you're not ranked. Wow. You have to have a strong team, mentally strong. Yeah, it, it really is. It's a, it's a very mental sport and that's the great thing of it. It's not, it, it's physical for sure, but the mental aspect is is much more important you know on day four you, you know you fall apart and being able to mentally go just say okay i can keep going i can get over this next hill or over to the next checkpoint you don't think about oh there's another four days of this to do it's just the next little step um and then there's all kinds of challenges that happen right because a lot of times you're not on trails so you can injure yourself so you're always carrying medical supplies uh, sometimes it gets very, um, you could get socked in with fog. And so you have a way to bivy overnight if you can't move in the dark. Sometimes it'll be a dark zone because you can't paddle in, in moving water. So you have to get out and camp. So you have to have a lot of gear with you as well. And there's stages, uh, transition areas where you can kind of replace your gear and switch out your gear. So you're not carrying all of it all the time. But yeah, there's, it's definitely a gear intensive sport. What, what, so, so you say, you know, you're trying to get from one point to the other without, without any route. What is, what are you giving? What kind of guidelines are you giving? Cause isn't there issues with like private property or missing a crucial point to cr- maybe cross a river or something? What kind of, what are you equipped with? It varies, but kind of the standard is you get a map 
uh, and a compass, and then you'll get the coordinates of where the points are that you have to find. And these points are actually physical things. They're orienteering flags that you find in the woods. And some of them can be manned if they're you know closer to civilization. So you, you see where it is, and on the map, there'll be a document that goes with it called the Rules of Travel. And it'll tell you, you should cross the river at this point and give you a lat long, basically, a UTM coordinate. And so you have to sort of get to that point because that's the safe crossing. And they might flag it so that you know you're there. And then uh, some, of the, some of the roads, they might say, these are off limits. So you're not allowed to get on this four-lane highway or you're not allowed to take this trail because it goes through private property or, or things like that. So you sort of know where you, your constraints and then beyond those constraints, it's just up to you to decide what's the best way. So if, you're, if your team is really good at bushwhacking, you might leave this trail and go up and over the mountain. Or, or, you know, but if you're really fast runners or bikers and there's a road around, you might decide to take the longer, flatter route around. And so there's no one good choice. It really depends on the condition of the team at that moment and the team's strengths. So fascinating, man. It's so interesting. Well, it, it sounds like there's a lot of freedom within the within the bounds of what adventure racing is, unlike, you know, say an Ironman triathlon, probably equally as difficult for training wise to some for, for those single day races. You know, that's that's a set um, set distance, set disciplines every time. The location obviously can be different, but it's you know what you're doing. This it's kind of like varies how long each discipline can be and how often you do it. And you don't know necessarily like this race I'm that's coming up uh, in a week and a half. We're going out to do Expedition Oregon, which is a five day event. And we don't know. We know that it has mountain biking. It has uh, pack rafting, which is paddling in whitewater. And it has um, uh, trekking and mountaineering. And it also has rappelling. But we don't oh, know yeah. the, the distances or or the order or you know how many times that we're going to do everything but they did tell us it starts with a 60 mile whitewater pack raft so we know that so we can kind of plan well all right it's oregon in may do we want dry suits you know we're going to have a repair kit a medical kit a 60 excuse me a 60 mile paddle might take us 15 hours so do we want some kind of a bivy where we could stop or you know are we going to be allowed to go through the night. We don't know that yet because we don't have any maps. We get, typically you get the maps the day before the race starts and you basically have that evening to look at them and sort of decide what you're going to do. And that process could take anywhere from two hours to six hours or longer. You know, you're looking at the maps and you're highlighting ways you might go. And then you might make, you know, race time decisions where you go, well, we were going to go that way but that looks really terrible. So let's not, <laughs> and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's the adventure, that's the adventure part. And you, you never know. I mean, some of the best adventures I've had were also my worst races in terms of performance, right? You know, but <laughs> yes, they were great adventures. <laughs> we had an adventure just a few weeks ago at a bike race, some friends and I, and we, uh, we had an adventure. That's for sure. We were dead last absolutely dead last to where it was more memorable that way honestly the way we did it and how we finished and how slow we were and wrong turns and so i can see that so man this is interesting having done it so many years could you share a story about maybe an experience that was really adventurous but maybe you're not your best race yeah i can uh uh, probably I could talk for days and days on this. But, uh, <laughs> I can imagine. So one that really is is very noteworthy is earlier, pretty early in my expedition career. So an expedition race is kind of five days or longer. Uh, and this was a 10-day race down in uh, southern Chile in Patagonia. And uh, it was a very remote race. And we got to the last trek. And it was it was basically trek across this peninsula to this place called uh, the Sea Cross at the end of the world. That was the finish line. And they kind of had a prescribed route on this very bad map. And so the team, we started out and we expected it would take us two and a half days to, to do this trek because there's no trails. 
and you had to cross a couple of mountain ranges. Uh, so, well, the two and a half days, we brought all the food that we had left in our transition supply bin, but it wasn't enough food. So after two and a half days, we were out of food. So we were kind of foraging for berries every so often. And then on the third morning, we looked at the map and went, well, if we take a shortcut up and over this ridge line, we can sort of drop down onto the beach. Well, so we, we tried that. And then a storm came in that forced us off the ridge line earlier than we wanted to be. So then we had to sort of co-steer, a traverse around the coast on the Strait of Magellan. So we go down to the beach and we're walking along. And the first thing that happened to us was we're there's a, a big rock in the beach and we're kind of walking up to it and we're in a good mood. It's morning and we're, we're only like 10 K from the finish line. And this big rock turns out to be a sea lion <laughs> and it just rears up and roars and lumbers into the ocean, not 20 feet in front of us. And we're all like, Holy cow. Wow. Did you see, you know, that was amazing. And then we realized that the beach runs out and we now have to get into the very ocean that it just went into <laughs> oh to swim God. around to swim around this bluff to, you know, to keep going. And so we do that. And it's, you know, now we're cold and wet. And one of my teammates has a a very swollen ankle and it turns out it was broken. And um, another teammate we learned at that point couldn't really swim very well. Uh, So he gets hypothermic and, and we're just falling apart and we're running out of food. We don't have a lot of fresh water. Uh, And we actually went on like this for another 18 hours. And then we got to a cliff with an old lighthouse and we could almost see the sea cross because it's this big monument. Um, like, I think that's it right over there. And that, but how do we get down off this cliff? Well, we found some old rope and tied it together and rappelled down into the ocean again. And you had to drop like the last 20 feet into the water. And then we got to shore and and then there's like a big rocky another set of cliffs and then we just pitched our tents because we one guy couldn't could barely walk we didn't have any water and we broke out the sat phone and eventually we were rescued by an army helicopter like 12 hours later <laughs> and flown to the hospital because we were pretty dehydrated and lacked food and and we were less than three kilometers from the end no way yeah and it, and this was like on day 11 so we had technically missed the race because it was a 10-day race. So we missed the cutoff. But, you know, they were out looking for us. And we finally radioed in. We had to climb a hill, one of my teammates, to get a signal to call in. And they then located us and sent a helicopter. But, yeah, it was it was quite the experience, you know, and I learned a lot. But, yeah, we didn't even finish the race. Only three teams did, actually. And so Holy we ended God. up fourth, but we didn't technically make it to the end. <laughs> Holy cow, man. That is so on, on those really long races, like those 10 day races, are you seeing the organizers the days in between days or at night or are there checkpoints or are you just kind of yeah, out there? Uh, no, you see them. There's transition areas where you're transitioning from like paddling a kayak to maybe riding your bicycle. And so that tends to be somewhere that's somewhat organized. And so there's they'll be there. So you sort of see them and you check in and sometimes there's a medical tent and you can get um, some medical attention or resupply. Um, You can usually get food out of your own packed bins. We pre-pack bins that we can then access during the race. But yeah, so you're seeing people, you know, some races you'll see people every three or four hours and some races it's every day or day and a half, but you rarely go it's an exception where you're going to be going two or three days and not seeing anybody uh, like that particular trek, you know, and in shorter races, everything is just smaller, but it's still kind of the same thing. You, you run a 5k through the woods and you find 10 checkpoints and you get on your bike and you go 20k and you pick up some more checkpoints and then you get in a river and you paddle to a finish line and you pick up two checkpoints along the way. And all the time you're using your maps to figure out where you are, you know? And so, but at every one of those transitions, you'll see the the race organizers and volunteers, and they'll you know cheer and help you along and stuff like that. So it's it's a it's an easy sport to get into. It sounds maybe harder and tougher than it is, but it's because you're carrying weight, you know, a backpack full of stuff. You're not really running. It's not 
you're not going as fast as you do like in an Ironman or even, you know, a sprint triathlon. They're going faster than I could ever go. I I just can't move that fast anymore. (laughs) But so I like the mental aspect of this. And it's more of an expedition and an adventure than a a race, you know, a kind of a course sprint or something. Um, Exactly. It it sounds like there's all these variables that could allow someone to be pretty successful at this if they're not the fastest, like, like planning, planning, being able to, to navigate your way through the wilderness, through the woods. Um, and also in preparation, you mentioned having to pack your own food. How, How much of the gear are you dependent on? Are you dependent on traveling with, with your kayak, with your backpack, with all that food? Yeah. So it depends on the location, but typically most races provide the boats unless you're bringing a pack raft, you know, basically a five to eight pound inflatable boat that you can then carry with you. Um, but everything else, you know, if there's canoes or kayaks, they're going to be there. But like I've taken, when I go to Patagonia, I bring 120 pounds worth of gear, bicycles and PFDs and paddles and, and food, uh, you know, some food you can source there. And some food, you like dehydrated meals, you really want to bring your own supply. Uh, but, you know, sweets, Snickers bars, carbohydrates, you can kind of find something in every country. You know, ramen noodles, those you can always find where you're going, typically. Um, so there's sort of a mix. I, what I tend to do is look at, you know, how much my uh, I'm bringing. And if I have two 50-pound bags that I'm taking on the airplane, plane and one's 50 pounds and the other is 80 uh, you know 35 pounds then i bring 15 pounds of food <laughs> right i just fill in the rest of the weight with food with food I mean, whatever whatever you get with food if you got four pounds you're gonna have four pounds that's right <laughs> that's what i bring and, and i buy the rest in country right so there you go yeah no kidding yeah. this is so cool well, well tell us uh maybe some of the most iconic races or some of the so some of the differences between maybe something local and then something that's that's more well known. Sure. So the the nice thing, like any sort of sport, there's a local level and then regional and then national and then international. So you know you can look up. There's a U.S. calendar and you could find seventy or eighty races all across the United States, and they're anywhere from six to twenty four hours typically. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of them are on the East Coast because that's where all the people live. So there's a, there's kind of a more dense population and more races happening. And then there's always a national championship somewhere in the United States. Um, and then internationally, there's a thing called the World Series, and it's made up of 10 to 15 events that happen all over the world in Ecuador, uh, France, Australia, New Zealand, the United States, Canada the UK, Africa, there's one in Southern Africa. Uh, so that's sort of the gamut of races. As far as iconic ones, uh, some of the ones just most memorable, you know, New Zealand has one called the God Zone. That, and New Zealand is, be- is just beautiful. Everybody should go visit there at least once in their life. It, it really is an amazing country, especially if you're into the outdoors. There, just everywhere you look, there's something to go see or do. The ones around the UK are surprisingly wild. I mean, you think of the UK and maybe even all of Europe as more settled and civilized. And and yet, you know, there's a race across Wales where you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. And there's, yeah, no help for miles and miles. And uh, so, cool. so, yeah, I did one across the uh, Sweden. We basically traveled all the way across Sweden to the coast of Norway to the spine of the mountains and then turned around and came back. So it was a long, it was about a 600 mile race. Uh, and that was pretty amazing. Holy Just, cow. How, how long does a 600 mile race take you? Uh, well, that's a really long race. That one was only eight days because it had a lot of, uh, cycling in it, which is the fastest mode. Um, typically, like you figure anywhere from 80 to a hundred miles every 24 hours. Uh, but then as the race gets longer, that goes down. Right. So, uh, yeah, a 400 mile race could easily be seven or eight days long. The real iconic race, uh, that kind of got everybody sort of in uh, my generation into adventure racing 
was a race called the Eco Challenge that was organized by Mark Burnett. Uh, and it was sort of before Survivor, one of his first forays into reality TV. And he started putting on these adventure races all over the world and making TV shows. And you can find them on YouTube. There's, I don't know, eight or nine of them. And then he stopped doing them because Survivor became very successful. Uh, and then two years ago, he brought it back after a 17-year hiatus. And uh, so that is called Eco Challenge. And this last one happened in Fiji. You know, there was 100 teams from all over the world. And it was on Amazon Prime. It's a 10-episode uh, show that you can watch and kind of get a feeling for what an expedition race is like. And it was pretty iconic. I mean, there's jungle. There's you know, oceans, uh, half the island is dry. And so you have this, these areas where there's not enough water and then the wet side, there's too much water. And it was pretty amazing experience to go and, and do that. And also just seeing helicopters flying everywhere and cameras everywhere. And, you know, but the Hollywood aspect was pretty neat because I hadn't experienced that before. So. Wow. That's awesome. There's some, some, some adventure sports podcasts alumni were, were racing in that. And, uh, Ah. that's that's really cool i I know that that would you say that helped raise awareness for the sport maybe grow it a little bit again it it did yeah so that that re happening of the eco challenge now there's a whole new like cadre of people that are interested in adventure racing because they've learned about it right and that's been our biggest challenge in growing the sport is that people don't even know it exists so and everybody that does it um it really, there's something satisfying about looking for a checkpoint in the middle of the woods and finding it. I mean, it's, it's like, you're a, you know, you're a little kid finding a birthday present or opening a birthday present. It's just like, it's really exciting and, and uh, exhilarating. And you're like, okay, a, a little success. Now let's find another one. You know, <laughs> it, it's addictive in a lot of ways. Easter, Easter egg hunt. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> kind of like an Easter egg hunt with a map. <laughs> with a map and, and not a lot of food is what it sounds like now well um, yeah food's heavy well, well t- tell me where, where's where's one of the coolest places you've been able to go do this or where, where would you tell us that and also where where is the sport really known for you've mentioned new zealand here in the states fiji uh in the uk uh, where we're kind of the hubs but where's the where's the coolest place you've been yeah they're all cool they're uh I, you know, I, I could tell you about all the international races, but really the United States has some amazing, amazing terrain. So if I just had to pick a couple, like a race called the Primal Quest that happened in Utah, it was based in Moab in the desert. And that's that terrain is like really iconic worldwide. Yeah. Uh, so that was, you know, an amazing spot to have a race because you've got the green river and the Colorado river and all those canyons and the desert and the just crazy mountain biking. Uh, yeah. And you know, there was slot canyons and two 400 foot climbs and two 400 foot rappels, you know, just really adventurous terrain. Um, so that would be definitely an iconic spot. Uh, probably, I don't, there's maybe debate on this, but adventure racing probably started in New Zealand. And it's certainly very popular there. I mean, they have them in their grade schools and high schools. And, you know, by the time those, yeah, the kids get, um, you know, to adult levels, they're, they're very good already, you know, just, and their races are massive. They just have far more people in them than, you know, the ones in the United States. So it's a very active country, I'd say population, um, it's active, so, and, and the terrain varies so abruptly uh, in such a compact area. You've got yeah. alpine mountains and, and beaches and farmlands, and you've got everything. The tropics. Have you been there? No, I just you know it's one okay. of those. It's it's probably the top of my bucket list. And I've we've talked to one of my best friends, a bike toured up and down it, and uh, okay. I've talked to him extensively. But yeah, yeah. Uh, really, what got me into New Zealand, like a lot of people's Lord of the Rings, and since then just kind of been obsessed with it but yeah well that's a spot on description i mean it really is there's everything you could want very close very so. very close and in the american west is like that you can get to places pretty quickly like utah is not far from colorado which is not far from um it, it, frankly the the coast you can get from utah to vegas to la fairly quickly 
and uh you know but 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 uh, new zealand's even more compact yeah <laughs> just on a little a island quicker. the size of florida you know what i mean it's unreal so that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense that's really cool yeah probably the other, the other iconic spot i would say was uh the world championship and i don't remember the year 2015 maybe was in tasmania and tasmania was a really neat place to race and it's very it's it's sort of like New Zealand because it's an island and there's a lot of terrain and it's, you know, at the south end of the planet. And so it's windy. And so there's a lot of the same environment in on the south island of New Zealand as Tasmania, as Patagonia, because they're all down there in the, you know, the higher latitudes of the south, you know, the roaring 40s kind of area. So they've got harsh winds and yeah, very interesting climate as well as terrain. What would you say is the most difficult aspect of adventure racing for for beginners, if you can, if you can remember all the way back then for you, or what you see <laughs> on, on races for for new folks? Uh, I, it's probably it's probably the navigation because there's just a lot going on that it takes practice, right? It just takes practice, you know. So, and you think you kind of have a handle on it and then you get lost. And that's when you really have, you know, you have to kind of figure stuff out. You don't know where you are anymore. And you're like, okay, we got to do something. Cause we got, we can't just sit here. <laughs> um, so I think that's one of the more difficult pieces is, is the navigation. Uh, and there are a lot of ways to get better at that. You know, there's little orienteering events, little one hour navigation practice events all over the country and the world that it's a little tiny map and you're running around looking for checkpoints. Um, but that gives you a good handle on the, the micro navigation, but then there's, we're here and we got to get over there and it's 40 miles away and there's a mountain range in the middle. And you know, that's sort of a different level. So there's, yeah. And I'm still learning, uh, you know, I, well, I don't know if I'm still learning, new tricks, but I'm relearning old ones that I seem to forget a lot. <laughs> I like to make I, I the realize, same mistakes. <laughs> yeah. A lot of life is, is learning new things, but it's, con it's, it's a lot of life is being reminded of what you used to know. And, That's right. Uh, and just <laughs> yes. being reminded of the lessons you've learned once before. So, um, that's interesting that it's in this board too. Well, what do you say is the traits or characteristics uh, of people that do really well in the sport in the long run? Um, is it just a matter of, cause, cause we had a listener reach out and say, uh, they tried an adventure race and where it felt a little lost. Like they didn't, they didn't really know what to expect or what was going on. I'm sure you, I'm sure everybody feels that way when they first try it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember my first race and me and my teammate spent hours on the phone for months preparing for this race. Wow. And now I look back and, you know, I, I'm like, what did we talk about? <laughs> but I didn't even know, like some of the mandatory gear, I didn't even know what it was. It's like, we got to bring a runner. What's a runner? What's a two foot runner? I don't, I've never heard of that thing, <laughs> you know? Uh, so yeah, I don't even know what that is. You know, it's a loop of nylon or Dyneema that is used in climbing, uh, you know, but, but if you've never heard the term, you don't know. And, you know, who do you ask? So, but there are beginner races. The, the, I think one of the problems is, is that people sort of jump into the deep end because that's fun, but then they get very lost and maybe a little disheartened as, mm. you know, if you sort of do something slightly above your level, then you can, you know, maybe overcome those challenges as opposed to really just end up not making it to the finish line, which is not what you want. You want to be successful at the end of the day. Right. Um, so, but I think that people that are successful, it takes a couple of tries, you know, but to sort of really understand what's going on. And then really it's the mental game, the people that know that things will get better because sometimes you're carrying your bike through mud or a river, or, you know, you're pushing it up a mountain that's all rocky and then you have to carry it down the other side because it's all rocky. And you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> and so, but in the end, it really, there's, you know, the type two fun, but there's some, there's yeah. some fun while it's happening and it's an adventure. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. 
your bike breaks and you have to carry it. Your boat sinks and now you've got to run this section that you thought you were going to paddle. You know, there's just any number of things that can go wrong. Oh, geez. Yeah. Your, your bike breaks and now you got to go on foot. Oh, that's got to be disheartening. <laughs> um, especially if you're the only one on the team or something uh, that, that, that happened to, because you have to stick together. Isn't there something that yes. you have to stay yeah, within a, a certain pool. amount of, you know, like an area within each other? Well, it's a hundred feet or a hundred meters is Holy depending cow. on the race. So and, pretty much within is, sight. Yeah. And, and most teams try to stay, if not within sight, within voice contact. You never want to be so where you have to yell for your teammate and they can't hear you. That's definitely a no, no, <clears throat> but you know, you could be in the dense woods and you may not be able to see your teammate, but you say, Hey, you're still over there. And they're like, yeah, we're looking here. You look there like, all right, I'll look here for three more minutes and I'll meet you over there. You know, kind of stuff. You got to Especially- be really careful about who you pick as a teammate then. Cause you can quickly get out of earshot of, of, of folks pretty quick. Let's take a quick message break and hear from some folks supporting the show. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get back into Mark's story. Yeah, well, you're not supposed to, you know, and, you know, and then there's the whole night aspect, you know, some people, you know, yeah, navigating at night is a whole nother thing and racing at night and, and being up all night, you know, you get tired, you get sleepy, you know, there's the whole yeah, that piece. And then the eating, you have to eat all the time because it's not like we're going to sit down and have a, you know, a nice lunch. You sort of eat while you're going. And so at some point, if you're not eating correctly, you're going to bonk or your stomach's going to go sour, you know, or something's going to happen to you where now you're whatever, you have heat stroke, you're throwing up or you're, so now you have to stop. So you're trying to avoid all those things and manage all of that while you're moving forwards, you know? So there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And I think that's, what's daunting to new racers, but you know, you start with a small race and you, you learn each little piece as you go. There you go. You know, you, you probably, you, you probably get familiar with the race through one of the big ones, like the eco challenge, seeing the documentary or, um, seeing something epic on YouTube. And then you're like, I want to do that. And you join right. a big race and then all of a sudden you're like, Holy cow, I don't know what I'm doing. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Why, why people jump in and, don't necessarily know, but if you start small and, and, and it, where it's okay to not know so much, I, I yeah. think that's the best way of learning is just throwing yourself out there in, in, in that kind of environment where it's, it's meant to be kind of, you know, where you just learn as you go. Yeah. And some people, me included, my first event was actually, I volunteered for an event at the Nanahala Outdoor Center. That's a and, great idea. And so I sort of saw what was going on and went, wow, this looks like it's kind of fun. <laughs> I might want to, you know, try one. So I signed up for one and I didn't know how to navigate. I could, I could read a trail map, but you know, you put checkpoints off the trails and I'm like, how do you find that? So we got totally lost. You know, we, we finished it, but yeah, I went, okay, I got to go learn how to navigate because I really don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and so I started just going to every navigation event I could find and practicing for years. Wow. Wow. It it does seem like a, a lifelong pursuit for you or a passion that. Yeah. I, it's the adventure. Cause I also travel and not race and just do uh roll your own adventures. My wife and I spent three months in New Zealand with pack rafts and bikes, just trekking and cycling and hanging out, you know, and making oh, our own. Yeah. We went out for a, a six day adventure. We, we had a, we hired a plane to drop us off on the West side of Stewart Island. And then we, we trekked back over to the east side, which took five days, and we sort of went a circuitous route, and you know we saw kiwi birds and just yeah, I mean, it, so I love the adventure part of it more than the racing part of it. <laughs> that uh, that sounds like an adventure sports podcast episode all in itself. Honestly, <laughs> um, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of the the races you've done could be their own episode. Well. Well, that's really cool. You know, so, so for the racing aspect, you know, you say you don't like that as much. I, I'm totally in that same boat. I'm just out there for the experience. I want to have fun. I want to have stories to tell afterwards. And I want to, you know, for, for goodness sake, get out from behind the computer. Um, what, what do you win if you do win the race? Is there any sort of prize? Well, yeah. I mean, for the top teams in the big races, you know, I think the purse at Eco Challenge was $100,000. Uh, wow. Back in the 
day there was corporate sponsorship, uh, like in the nineties, but anymore, what you win is the, the glory of being first and, and, uh, you know, your ranking in the world ranking goes up, uh, but there's really not a lot of races that give monetary prizes or anything like that. Um, well, that's good. Keeps it pure. Yeah, it does. And it, and it's, I've actually said this in the past that, you know, when you add money into a race, people behave differently. And I much prefer races where you're out in the woods and you bump into another team and, and you're like, we can't find checkpoint 27. And they're like, Oh, go over two more ridges and then go down this little ravine and you'll see it. Right. And they just tell you, they help you out. And that's the way races are. They, we really, the people that are in adventure racing are very helpful. And, and you're right. If money was an aspect or a lot of money was an aspect there, you know, it, it's, there's no telling what can happen. That's right. Well, you, humans do weird things for money. That's for sure. Yep. And yeah. So I, yeah, I like the way our sport is with, it's a very, uh, at amateur status as opposed to professional. Well, let me ask you this. Do you, do you have a story or anything that, uh, where you were talking about like, you know, you're pushing your bike up a hill for an hour and a half and you're thinking, why the heck did I fly across the world and spend money to, to do this? Has there ever been a moment, you know, maybe at, right after something like that where you, you've experienced something or saw something maybe similar to like that, that, that walrus or that seal or that sea lion and said, this is why I do this. This is incredible. Yeah. Well, every sunrise. <laughs> You've been out all night and then the sun comes up and, you, and it's just glorious. Uh, and usually you're in an amazing place. You know, I've been to a lot of amazing places around the world and people, you know, it'd be like, well, I've, you know, I go to these iconic places where there are iconic things, but I don't actually see those. You know, it's like going to Paris and not seeing the Eiffel Tower. Well, I was busy out in the woods, so I didn't, you know, I was running through a, a cow pasture, <laughs> but it's that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, let's some just amazing moments. We were, I, we were racing in Maine and we were paddling down this river and we saw a mother deer and a fawn and a bobcat came out of the woods and grabbed the fawn. And, and in the water. So everybody's in the water. We're in the water. The deers are in the water. The bobcat jumps into the water, grabs the fawn and starts pulling it away. And the mother comes over and starts kicking and thrashing at the bobcat and eventually drives the bobcat out where the fawn gets away. And the fawn swims to shore. And then the mother swims to shore and they run up in the woods and the bobcat kind of dejectedly swims out of the river all wet without a deer. <laughs> uh, and so that was a pretty amazing event. You know, we were in awe. We stopped paddling and just floated and watched the whole thing happen. You know, and you don't, uh, yeah, you don't see that downtown very often. <laughs> no, 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 you don't. That is, they, that you're yeah. seeing victory and defeat all in the same. It's like wild kingdom, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> that is, that is wild. That is so yeah. cool. And I'm, and I'm sure you just come across stuff. You're moving at a speed where you might surprise nature in that way and see something really special right exactly yeah and and you do a lot like well we were paddling in the strait of magellan and a whale came up right and we're in these little we're in these kayaks that didn't seem little until a whale came up <laughs> then you're like huh <laughs> that is too cool golly that is too cool so so i tell you what i know folks are going to want to know your your advice on this for you you've alluded to, to, to different aspects of it but what what is the best steps to take for folks that that want to try this that want to get into it? What what's some essential gear they should just go ahead and have for even their first one, and where should they look to to try one? Yeah, uh, well, you need a bike. Doesn't have to be an expensive bike, you know, just some mountain, mountain bike. Mountain bike, okay, mountain bike. Yeah, three hundred to five hundred dollar bike, and you can even get by with something less. Uh, but, you know, somewhere in that range would be an, a good starter bike and you'd use it for a few years before you maybe wanted something a little nicer. And then you don't really need a boat or any boating gear because that'll be provided at most shorter and beginner events. And so and then you need a backpack that's comfortable and, you know, a compass. And that's, you know, bare bones. 
you could go sign up for a six hour event and just give it a shot, see how it goes. You probably want to have a little bit of knowledge on how to read the map, but most beginner races, they tend to put the checkpoints in places like where one trail crosses another. Um, you know, so you're not navigating topo, topo lines. You're just navigating, reading a trail map. Um, as far as finding them, there's a calendar. Uh, the United States Adventure Racing Association maintains a community calendar. Uh, so if you go to usara.com, I think it's com, could be org. Uh, yeah, usara.com, and there's a calendar, and it's all the, ca- all the yep. races around the United com. States. Yeah. So, yeah, and then you can just find one close to you, and if you don't have anybody to race with, uh, email the race director and say, can I come volunteer? And they'll love to have you. And by the end of that volunteering, you will know people that you could race with because you're going to meet a whole bunch of adventure racers. Uh, or if you have a little more you know, knowledge and skills in your repertoire already, you could just sign up and go do it and see how it goes. You know, the, the worst that could happen is you don't get to the end and you, you learn a lot and you try another one. So Hey, that's what we're all about here is getting out there and, and, and having fun and trying things. And it looks like there's a section too on usara.com for, uh, that's called new to AR, new to adventure. Absolutely. So yep. That's a great all the place things to start. Can... Yes, for sure. Well, well, let me tell you this as we wrap up, um, or let me ask you this, what have you noticed in, in the world of adventure racing? Do you, do, is the sport growing? What, what is the sport trying to do? I guess. Uh, I think we're in a growth cycle now because of the last eco challenge. Uh, it was getting in my eyes, sort of starting to get a little older, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid fifties. A lot of racers are in their mid forties and, and there are not so many newer racers. And now post eco challenge, we're seeing a lot of races are filling up and the race director asks and half the field has never done one before. This is their first race, you know? So that's great. So there's this resurgence happening across the U S and maybe the world. Um, yeah. So I don't think it's ever going to be, you know, like us USA triathlon because you, you can't put a thousand people into the woods, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work. (laughs) Um, because you're you're all navigating and you, you want to be somewhat independent and so there needs to be this ability to sort of spread out relatively quickly otherwise you're not navigating you're just following the team in front of you you know and um and that's not what you want Absolutely. so i don't yeah you're never going to have 2000 racer races you know i think the biggest races are usually like 400 is huge um most races are in the you know 200 100 to 200 people which is fine. No, it's great. I mean, there, there's you're not going to fill fill a stadium, and in, in in the sense of spectators, because it's happening across the earth, across the terrain, and right. this this so, is t- the community. The Adventure Sports Podcast is, is the community that understands that and, and wants those kinds of experiences. Yeah. So two things I should mention. Uh, one is there's a Facebook group called the Adventure Racing Discussion Board that is a great place to ask questions and learn a ton of stuff. It's a very active, very helpful uh, group. It probably has five or 6,000 international members. So that's a, a good resource on Facebook. And then the other is this thing called dot watching. So a lot of races, all the teams carry GPS trackers so they can be uh, tracked. So they can't use them to figure out where they are, but the organizers can post a map on the internet so you can follow the race online and it's called dot watching because you're watching the dots move around on the map and yeah. And then there'll be usually some kind of a stream telling you what's going on. Uh, And that's great fun. Um, If you can't be at the race, you can at least sort of cheer on the racers that are there. And yeah. That's awesome. Well, well, tell us when is expedition Oregon? And, uh, yeah, explain that a little bit and and when you're going. Expedition Oregon is May, uh, let's see, May, uh, 10th is check-in, May 11th, 10th and 11th is check-in. And then we get on buses 
in the morning of the 12th and the race starts at 8 a.m. on the 12th at some unknown spot. And it goes until the 17th, I think, 16th or 17th. Wow. Five days. Uh, and it's over 300 miles. Um, and it has a unique element in it that they're known for, which is uh, bike repelling. So you're biking along and you get to a cliff and you tie your bike onto your backpack in some fashion and then you go down a rope. <laughs> uh, I saw that picture that you, you sent over and thought, holy cow, what is he doing? And yeah. That, I didn't realize yeah. that was unique to that. So so that's part of Expedition Oregon. It's, it's billed as America's toughest race, uh, which it probably is. Um, it's very wild uh, and there's going to be, there should have been a nice international field, but COVID kind of has reduced it to about 40 American teams, but it'll still be a great event and I, and it will be tracked. And so if you go to uh, search on Expedition Oregon, you can eventually find the link to the dot watching site and you can watch all of the racers. Uh, we'll be team Tansy Navigation, which is my little company that makes maps and writes books and stuff. So, uh, and me and two of my friends are, will be racing there. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, well, Mark, great luck. Good luck at that. And, uh, yeah, we'll be cheering you on. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm excited to hear some stories from it too. It's going to be, uh, 400 miles is plenty of, plenty of canvas to paint some adventure on. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, man, and- I, I hope you're not overly prepared because then there won't, you know, there won't be any stories to tell. So, oh, well, <laughs> I don't think I've ever been overly prepared. Yeah. There, there's plenty that's going to, that's going to go wrong in a great way. So, um, well, thank you so much for joining us and talking a little bit about it. This was awesome. Yeah. I, I love talking about it. It's, it is my passion. I, I, wish everybody could experience this it's really living living to the fullest first of all thank you so much for listening it means the world to us that you choose to listen to the show if you'd like to help us further you can leave a review on itunes share us with your friends your family it goes a long way to grow in the show you can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast link is in the show notes And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.